It's Monday, May 6, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Dallas, Texas. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and specifically looking at Luke chapter 18, verse 15, through Luke Luke chapter 19, verse 27. And so today, as we look at these passages, we are going to see a kingdom that is upside down in Luke chapter 18. And then we're going to see the application of that kingdom in Luke 19. And so first we enter into this vignette found in Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. When it says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not inherit it. The disciples were trying to determine who was worthy for the kingdom of God. And Jesus is basically now saying it's the marginalized. It's the disenfranchised. You see, children would have been the lowest in society with the least amount of rights. They, they, they were not the ones that the disciples expected that Jesus wanted his calendar cleared for them to come to him. But yet Jesus says, this is who's coming into my kingdom. And so as we look at children, when Jesus says, if you do not come like one of them, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see four characteristics of kids. They're, they're humble, right? They, there are not a lot of two-year-olds that are very prideful. They're dependent. You're not going to leave a two-year-old home alone. They're trusting. They'll do anything their parents tell them to do. And they're hopeful. They're always with expectation and with joy. And so Jesus is saying, this is who I'm looking for for the kingdom of God. Those who are humble, those who are dependent, those who are trusting, and those who are hopeful. Oh, beloved, this is those that are coming in the kingdom of God. And it's not what the disciples expected. The kingdom was upside down. But then, then comes a man, starting in verse 18, that the disciples do expect. This was an aristocrat, a nobleman, a rich ruler. And he comes to Jesus. This was the guy that they expected that the Outlook calendar would be cleared, that every appointment would pale in comparison to this guy. But let's see what happens starting in verse 18 of Luke 18. It says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And he said, All of these I've kept since my youth. When Jesus heard this he said to them one thing you still lack sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me but when he heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich jesus seeing that he had become sad said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of god first easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of god those who heard it said then who can be saved but he said what is impossible with man is possible with god and peter said see we've left our homes and followed you and he said to them truly i say to you there is none who have left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, the disciples were trying to determine if this was the right person, right? And and when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, he, he seems like he has all the pedigree. He's rich, he's a ruler, and he knows what he's talking about. 
And, and he actually comes asking the right question to the right person, but he doesn't realize that he's asking the question of the right person. He asks, how do I receive and how do I inherit eternal life? And notice this word inherit, right? He was rich. He probably inherited a lot of his money. How am I going to inherit eternal life? What position do I have to be in to receive eternal life? Oh, but remember what Jesus says in the high priestly prayer in John 17, verse three, he says, and this is eternal life. What? What's eternal life? That they know you, God, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you had sent. The thing is, the rich young ruler comes to the Messiah, comes to Jesus Christ, who'd been sent from the Father, and he has eternal life if he will follow him. But he doesn't know to whom he speaks. He's asking the right question, but he doesn't realize who Jesus is. And he goes through this litany of commands that he has he has followed. He hasn't committed adultery. He hasn't murdered. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't bared false witness. He has He's honored his father and his mother. Oh, but he was ignoring the first and the greatest commandment that there shall be no other God before me. And then the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This man was a legalist. He had great wealth and he followed great rules. But beloved, legalism will always fail you in devotion to God. Law keeping becomes our idol. And when we come to Christ, he displaces all of the world's treasure so that he alone is adored, trusted, and obeyed. This this man had missed it. So when Jesus asks him to sell all he has and give it to the poor, don't miss it, beloved. This is not a, a, a call to poverty. This is not saying that you can't come to the kingdom of God and have stuff. Right, But Jesus saw this man and he knew where his hope was. He had displaced hope because his hope was on his wealth and his hope was not on God. And Jesus was teasing that out with these questions. You see, the idols were dominating his heart. And so we would think, well, a man with such great wealth would would be very joyful. He would have a lot of happiness, right? But this shows that the kingdom is upside down. Verse 23, when he heard the, the, the condition that he had to sell all he had and follow Christ, right? He became very sad because he was extremely rich. This man wasn't happy with his possessions. He obviously knew there had to be more or he wouldn't have even asked Jesus how to inherit life in the eternal life in the first place. So he, but he ends up at a place where the idols dominate him and yet can never fulfill him. Beloved, it begs the question, what are the idols in our life that we are holding on to sweaty palms? Oh, what are the things that, that are dominating our life that we think will make us happy? Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's our career. Maybe it's our families. Maybe it's sex. Whatever it may be, what are those idols that we are holding on to that we think will make us happy? That we're looking to for fulfillment outside of Christ Jesus. The truth is nothing can bring us joy apart from selling all things and, and, and abandoning all things and following Christ. Beloved, Christ will make demands on our lives. He wants everything we have, our utmost devotion. He may not ask us to sell all our possessions, but he will ask us to give up our career in order to serve him, our schedule in order to make him known, our reputation in order to make him famous, and our physical lives to display his everlasting glory to the nations. The question is, are you completely surrendered to the Lord? Or do idols and false gods have reign in your life? You see, it was impossible for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God, but through Christ Jesus, all things are possible. A rich yet man can be saved, but only through the power of God. We can all be saved, but only through the power of God as an act fully from God. Oh, beloved, like Jesus says, I tell you, there is no one who left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not inherit many times more in this life and the age to come, eternal life. Beloved, there is nothing in this world that 
even begins to compare with the everlasting, all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then we see in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34, like at the beginning of a play in a football game, Jesus huddles up the 12 disciples and he, he wants to give them the play. He wants to tell them what's coming ahead. He wants to, to, to reveal to them the kingdom. And for the third time, he foretells his death to his disciples. And this is what verse 31 says. It says, in taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over the Gentiles and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Oh, everything in the kingdom of God was upside down to the human mind. Jesus reveals another perplexing mystery to the 12 when he reveals that he is the suffering savior and king. He's not a political ruler to make Israel the greatest nation. He is a suffering king that will suffer loss. He will be flogged. He will be, he will be smitten upon. He will be killed, but he will triumphantly rise on the third day. And the disciples don't get it. They did not grasp what he said. They missed the mystery of the upside down kingdom. Oh, but guess who doesn't miss it? The next character who enters in in Luke 18, verses 35 through 43, the blind beggar. You see this blind beggar that we're about to read about? He sees more than the disciples see, and he's richer than the rich young ruler. The disciples are blind to the prophecies that they're privy to, and the rich young ruler, right, he was too rich to see the kingdom of God, but this blind beggar sees what they could not see. Oh, look at verse 35. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd coming by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near to him, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. You see, this, this blind beggar knew who Jesus was. Oh, he, he calls him what, what Jesus had told just earlier the disciples who he was. In verse 31, we read that Jesus said we're going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man, Jesus uses this title to describe himself, Son of Man. And this is a title to describe the Savior that's found first in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, when Daniel in his prophecy says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man and he came to to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And what did the son of man have? And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and the kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And you see the blind beggar was not privy to that conversation. Right? And even when he asked the crowd, hey, who is that? They say Jesus of his hometown. This would be like if we were in Washington, D.C., and all of a sudden we're blind, and, and a crowd comes by, and somebody says, oh, this is George of Texas. And, and we're like, oh, it's George Bush the president. How do we go from George of Texas to George Bush the president? Obviously, this blind man knew who the Messiah was. And he doesn't just say the Messiah. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In other words, Jesus, son of man, have mercy on me. Oh, this blind beggar. 
He may have been blind and he may have been marginalized, but God had chosen to reveal the kingdom of heaven to him. He sees what the disciples refuse to see, and he has the greatest riches that the rich young ruler hoped to possess. And he asked that Jesus, he says, he says, Jesus comes and gives him a blank check in verse 41. What do you want me to do for you? Oh, he sees uh, he, he sees this man, he asks, what do you want me to do for you? This harkens back to Fanny Crosby, the hymn writer of more hymns by far than any person who has ever lived. In today's measures, she's she wrote more hymns than Tomlin, Hillsong, and Passion Combined. She became blind as an infant from sickness, and later in her life, she wrote in response to someone who asked her if she wished she could receive her sight back. She says this, if at my birth, I had been able to have made one petition to my creator, it would have been that I should be made blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my savior. And you see, for this blind beggar man, he asked for his sight, and he received his sight, and the first face that he saw was the face of his savior. Oh, and, and look at the difference. He doesn't go off to see the Grand Canyon. He doesn't go off to see Jerusalem. He doesn't go off to see the, the Judea, Judea hillside. He doesn't go off into Jericho to see all the people that he had missed. No, what does it say? It says immediately he recovered his sight and he did what? He followed Jesus. Huh. What the rich young man failed to do, follow Jesus. This man receives the greatest gifts and he follows Jesus. He follows him immediately. And, and look at his praise. And he starts to glorify God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. All the people who saw it were driven to praise God. This is true, authentic worship. This is true, authentic grace. And this is true mercy at work. The rich young ruler goes away sad. The former blind beggar rejoices. The kingdom, beloved, is upside down. But what I want us to see in Luke chapter 19 is the application of this upside down kingdom. What does it mean? How do we apply that? Okay, so it's upside down, but what does that mean for our lives? Well, the first thing is we enter into another guy, Zacchaeus, Zach, right? Zacchaeus, he, 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 Jesus is entering into Jericho and he was passing through and there was a man named Zacchaeus, verse two. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He'd never met Jesus. He wanted to know who he was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he's about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down. You, I will stay at your house today. For he hurried and he came down and he received Christ joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled the crowd. He, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what is lost. You see, Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, a, 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 a person given by the Roman government to tax and oppress the Jewish people. No, he was a chief tax collector, meaning he probably got there by cheating more than the others. And he was rich. So this is a slime ball. He doesn't know who Jesus is, and we find out he's also short. And so what does this man do? He humbles himself because he wants to see Jesus. He has two problems. The crowds don't like him, and he's short. So he humbles himself, and he climbs up in a sycamore tree. Now think about it for a minute. Noble people don't climb up into trees. If we were to go to London today and we wanted to meet the Queen of England, we wouldn't think about going to Buckingham Palace, looking up at a tree and seeing the Queen of England with her feet hanging down in a tree. That's not where nobility goes. But, but Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, so he humbled himself. 
He humbled himself. It's what children are a picture of, humility, right? It's what the rich young ruler couldn't do, humble his posture. And it's what the blind beggar did, humbled himself before God. And Zacchaeus humbled himself. He became humble like a child. He became dependent like a child. He started trusting like a child. And he was hopeful like a child. So he climbs up in this tree to see Jesus. And Jesus notices him. And here's the deal, beloved. The God of this universe will always seek after you before you will seek after him. And he is seeking after the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so Zacchaeus, he isn't holding on to the idol of his self or honored onto the idol of his wealth. He is enamored by the Savior, by his grace and by his mercy. And all it took was Christ Jesus noticing him. And through the power of God, Zacchaeus is loosened from his riches, his sin, and his idols. True salvation come to Zacchaeus' house through the power of God. And it shows us, oh, it is possible for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven, but only through the power of God through Christ. It is possible for any sinner to come to Christ no matter how dreadful or how slimy, but only through the power of God through Christ. And that brings us to three important applications of the upside down kingdom that we see in Zacchaeus's life. Number one, the gospel is for sinners. Oh, God's children are always camouflaged as wretched sinners. God's children are rarely who you would think. This is why we seek out the marginalized. This is why we minister to the least of these. But I beloved, because we were the least of these. We were the marginalized. We were the foolish. But Christ came to shame those that were wise and to bring to himself the foolish. Oh, it is only because of the cross of Christ that we can stand firm in the presence of God. The gospel is for sinners, and that's why as a ministry, we minister to the least of these, to the orphans, the vulnerable children, their families, birth parents, and sinners, because this is a gospel for sinners. But number two, we must preach the gospel. We exist as a people to make disciples of all nations. We preach the gospel, and the Lord brings the increase. It's our privilege to invest our lives in the lives of others for the sake of making the glorious gospel of Christ Jesus known. We must preach the gospel in words. We must speak it, and we must preach it. But number three, we must be about the justice of the kingdom. Notice that Zacchaeus makes restitution with all those he had wronged, and he seeks reconciliation. He humbly seeks to show how kindness turned out to others. Make no mistake, Zacchaeus is changed and reoriented man. When we are changed and reoriented by Christ, our lives begin to reflect lives of justice for the poor, the needy, and the disenfranchised. We aren't just looking out for our own safety and security, but for kingdom justice for all of God's children. That's why we're harking back to what the prophet Micah says in Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. It says, with what shall I come before the Lord Yahweh and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Oh, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with our God? Oh, we must be about the justice of the kingdom. And that brings us lastly to this last parable, the parable of the ten minutes and the application. How will we be found faithful in applying our lives for this gospel? And we see this, verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded Jesus to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. Yet the disciples still are not seeing things clearly. 
They knew kids and the marginalized getting into the kingdom. They knew rich men had a tough time getting into the kingdom. They knew that Jesus is starting to talk funny about suffering and some, some person's death. Right? They know that a blind man got his sight and started rejoicing. They know that a filthy, slimy, rich sinner has salvation. But they didn't understand that Jesus was the one who had to die and that the kingdom was not instantaneous, but the instant kingdom was still coming and that they needed to work, they needed to serve, and they needed to make the kingdom visible. Oh, verse 12, this is what Jesus says in the parable. A nobleman, which represents Christ, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, his followers and disciples, he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens, the world, hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to, to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him and said, Lord, your men has made 10 minutes more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your men has made five minutes. And he said to him, you and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, Lord, here is your men, which I kept away and handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has 10 minutes. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minutes. He said, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from whom one has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Oh, my word. What does this parable mean? Here's the deal, beloved. Jesus is the nobleman. The servants are his followers and the citizens are the world. Jesus is giving us, his followers, the resources to invest in building his kingdom. The question of the parable is, will we be faithful or will we shriek back? Will we serve God fully or will we be distracted by this world? Will we spend our lives sowing the seed of the kingdom or will we bury our lives in the sand? Will we risk our lives or will we secure our lives and hide them? Oh, the last man was a servant. Look, it was the it was the citizens that thought that the the, the, the noble man was, was corrupt. It was not the servants. So what does this mean? The man with one mena had been corrupted by the world. He had taken the gifts and the abilities that Jesus, that God had given him, and he had allowed them to be corrupted by the world. He had given in to the world. He had he had allowed himself to become overcome by the pleasures of this world. Beloved, Christ has given us a talent, a gift, and a calling. The question is, what are we going to do to invest his gifts in the lives of the humble and the marginalized? How are we proclaiming gospel power to those who are trapped in idolatry? How are we proclaiming justice to the gospel of the gospel to sinners? And how are we spending our lives to make the kingdom of God known? Do not be overly influenced by this world, but be influenced by Christ and go forth to proclaim this kingdom to all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, and all languages. Oh, and at Lifeline, as for us, oh, we are going to be about this gospel. We are going to be about making the gospel of this kingdom known to the marginalized. We are about making this gospel known to sinners. We are about proclaiming Christ Jesus because it's not enough just to rescue orphans out of orphanages. It's more than enough, though, when you preach the gospel of the kingdom and you disciple them. Oh, beloved, this is an upside down kingdom and we must proclaim the gospel. We must make it known to sinners. We must proclaim justice and we must have urgency to use the gifts, the talents, the giftings and the callings that we have been given. Well, this week we are praying for the country of Kyrgyzstan 
Kyrgyzstan has 6 million people and 88% of the people practice Islam. So pray for the Kurd church so they would be strengthened and that the gospel would multiply throughout the country. Pray for leaders to rise up in this country that will assist in the furtherance of the gospel as well as better care for vulnerable children. We have completed five adoptions from Kyrgyzstan and we have two more families that are in the process of completing their adoption. Please pray for more families to feel called to adopt children five and older from Kyrgyzstan. Pray for these two active families who are going through their process and, and continue to pray for doors to open with our unadopted ministry. We, we're waiting for a partnership even to open up with some of the orphanages in a baby home. Pray for the central authority, the ministry there in Kyrgyzstan, that they will continue to find favor with our paperwork and they will work hard and make it a priority to get children ready for referrals. Pray for Jalene, our team member. Pray that he will continue to build strong relationships with the central authority and with orphanage directors, doctors, and, and others. Pray that he will continue to find favor as he upholds strong ethical standards. And ultimately, we are praying for Jalene's salvation. Pray that as he continues to hear the gospel from our families and our staff, that he will understand what it means. Pray, pray for his salvation. And pray that God will lead us to orphanage churches and individuals we can partner with inside of Kyrgyzstan. Pray, pray, we praise the Lord for our team members on the ground, Sasha and Jalene, and the work that they do to serve our families. And we praise the Lord for our Lifeline team here at home, for Josh, for Jana, for Brianna, and for Toria, as they work to do the stateside work to serve our families. So let's pray. Father, we pray for the country of Kyrgyzstan. We thank you for the opportunity to work there. And we thank you for the opportunity to make the gospel of this kingdom known there. Lord, we pray that you would make your glorious gospel known to Jalene. That he would come to hear this glorious gospel. And he would respond like the blind beggar. That he would respond like Zacchaeus. And that salvation would come to his house. Lord, we pray that for the 88% that are practicing Islam. That you would take the, the blinders off their eyes. And they would see the kingdom of Christ Jesus. And we pray for the church that is in Kyrgyzstan. That it would be strengthened. That it would be empowered. That they would not shrink back and they would not bury their talents in the sand, but they would invest them for the kingdom of God. Lord, we know you love Kyrgyzstan and we pray that you would be working as you already are there for your glory, for your name, and for your gospel. In all this, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.